Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going uh, verse by verse, passage by passage. I hope that you, uh, when we started, you can still pick this up. We've got the little card on one side, gives you a lot of information on Matthew. On the other side is the outline for the Gospel of Matthew. Be sure and have that. You can put it in your Bible, and you can follow it along, or as you do your own study, you can see how things fit together. We're looking at the life of Christ, or a better way to put it is we're looking at selected events from the life of Christ as seen through the eyes of Matthew. Matthew is a Jewish man, tax collector, chosen by Jesus Christ to be one of the 12 apostles. And this powerful book presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Now think about that. The Messiah, the one who fulfills all of the prophecies, he indeed is the king. The book, In this book, he is born king of the Jews, he lives as the king, and then he dies as king of the Jews. In this section, we're seeing really the early years, we, we're seeing the guidance and protection of God uh, in all of these things. Last time, the wise men came. They, they called them the Magi. They came from a long way. They worshiped Jesus Christ. They gave the gifts. And then they were warned by God, and they left. This morning, we're continuing to see God's sovereign guidance and protection. We're going to see that Joseph is warned so he can save the life of the Messiah. They travel from Bethlehem to Egypt, and then finally they come all the way back and end up in Nazareth. And we're seeing God's guidance and protection, but we also, as I mentioned earlier, we see that, that Joseph obeys God's word. When God reveals, when God sent an angel basically in a dream to give Joseph information, Joseph always obeyed. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. And that's what we want to do. We have the written revelation, and we want to understand that. So let's think about the Bible for a second. When you think about the Bible, we'd say the Bible is God's perfect word. It, the word of God in written form it is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. We realize that God used human beings to write down his revelation. Peter called it a more sure word of prophecy. I want to give you some words to think about. These are four words that are really key that when you study the Bible and you think about the Bible, the first one is the word revelation. Revelation is God making himself known. He's made himself known through the creation, through his son Jesus Christ, through the Bible. Throughout the, throughout the history, he's made himself known in dreams and through prophets. And in our passage today, he actually makes himself known to Joseph through an angel in a dream. So that's called revelation, God making himself known. Whoops, excuse me, let me go back. Inspiration is... Um, God's revelation in a written form. You have the inspired word of God in your hand. It's the written revelation of God. We call it the Bible. Second Timothy says all scripture is inspired by God, and so that's inspiration. And then there's a, a term, illumination. Illumination is where the Holy Spirit actually helps us as we study the Bible. It helps us to understand it as we dig it, as we try to put it together. It illuminates the scripture. And then last but not least is application. Application is where we take the truths and principles that we learn from the Bible and we apply them in our lives. And so really these four words stand out. Revelation, God making himself known. Inspiration, God making himself known in a written form. We call that the Bible. Illumination is the Holy Spirit helping us to understand the Bible. And application is each one of us living out the truths of God's word in our lives. Well, this morning, we're going to see God making himself known. It won't be through a written revelation. It'll be through a dream. It'll be through an angel coming to Joseph and giving them information. We see Joseph applying that information. We see Joseph understanding it and applying it. And as we study this passage this morning, we're also going to see that Matthew says that some of the events in this passage fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament. In fact, from Hosea, Jeremiah, and Isaiah, Matthew, the writer, is going to say, this fulfilled what was said by the prophet. 
Now let's remember where we are. Jesus was born. This has been born in, in Bethlehem. A uh, little baby, the night that he was born, angels came. An angel came and told the shepherds. The shepherds came. They saw him. All of those things. Two years. When you get to Matthew chapter 2, to about two years have passed. Jesus is no longer a baby. He's a little boy. He's no longer in a manger thing. He's in a house. And these wise men, these magi, have made about a thousand-mile trip. It's taken them a long time. A star appeared. They understood a little bit about the star, most likely from Daniel, that, that there was going to be a Messiah and a Savior and a King. And so they've traveled all this time. It's taken them about two years. They end up getting to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, Herod is the ruler. Now, I mentioned him, and I'm going to mention him more again today. Uh, King Herod, we ca he called himself Herod the Great. And that's how he's known in history as Herod, Herod the Great. He was a powerful man. He was a very evil man. He built a lot of things. He was not king of the Jews, but he had been appointed by the Romans to oversee what we call Israel. That's what we call it today. It was that part of the world. He, he was a ruler. He had some background of a descendant of Esau. So he considered himself a descendant of Abraham. So he, saw, he said that he was Jewish. And uh, he really wasn't, but he ruled over the, that part of the world, and he was a tyrant. Toward the end of his life, he got dementia. We know that he killed six, at least six of his sons. He killed some of his wives. Every time one of his sons got power enough, he was threatened by that, so he would kill his sons. Uh, he, when, when these magi came from a long way, and it wasn't three of them, it could have been no telling how many, they came into the city, the whole city was in uproar when they came in, they got to Herod and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod was upset because he was appointed king of the Jews, not born king of the Jews, and so he Herod brought in the religious leaders and said, where is this Messiah king supposed to be born? And they said, it's going to be Bethlehem. Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. So Herod sent the wise men, the magi, down there to find the child. He said, find the child. When you find him, let me know, and I'll come worship him. What he really wanted to do was kill him. So the wise men went down there. We all know the story. They went there, and they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave all of that. They did all the things they were supposed to do, and then they left. And that's, that's where we are. In fact, if you work at verse 12 of chapter 2, it says, Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And that's what they did. They left, and that's Matthew 2, 12. And then Herod had this plan. He's going to kill all the boy babies two years and older about the time of the star. If you look at 2.16, it says that he went and killed all the babies about the same time that, that he understood from the wise men when this baby had been born, this child had been born. So what he did is he killed everything two years old and under, so he thought, I'll get that child one way or another. Well, as we look at this passage, as I mentioned, a lot of times when you go through tradition, you see a manger scene, and you see Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the shepherds and some sheep, and then you see three wise men. And what we realize is the wise men, whether there were three or 300 of them, we don't know. There were a good many. It disturbed the whole city. They came at a later time, not the night that Jesus was born. And so it's been about two years. And uh, we see that background. I want to show you something that you may have never thought about. What happened from the time Jesus was born till chapter 2 when he's about two years old? Well, I want you to show you something. When a baby was born, when a boy baby was born under the Mosaic law, and Jesus was born under the Mosaic law, on the eighth day, he was circumcised and named. And then you counted 33 days after that, because the mother was considered unclean for 33 days, and then the parents had to come make an offering. 
Now, it's a little bit weird because if it was a female, if it was a little girl that was born, the mother was unclean for 66 days. If it was a boy, it was 33 days. So I want to show you something. Hold your place in Matthew and flip over to Luke. So you Matthew, Mark, the third, third book over the New Testament, to Luke, and go to Luke chapter 2 and look at verse 21. Because in Luke, we actually see Jesus, the mama of Jesus, bringing them, Joseph coming, bringing Jesus, first of all, on the eighth day, and then on the 33rd, 33 days after that. So it's about 40 to 41 days. I want you to see this. Look at Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to put this up here. Look at verse 21. It says, Now when the eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel for his conceived in the worm. So when they circumcised him and on the eighth day and all that, they called him Jesus. And then look at verse 22. When the days for their purification... According to the law of Moses was complete, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him for the Lord. That's the 33 days later that was for the, the uh, uh, purification. But look at verse 24. And they offered a sacrifice, and look what it was. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They brought, they brought as a sacrifice two little bitty birds. Now, under the Mosaic Law, there were a number of sacrifices you could bring. You could bring a lamb, you could bring a different animal, but if you didn't have any money, you could bring these, this little bitty birds. This is what they bring. They have no money. We talked about it last week when the wise men came two years after this Luke passage, they, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But what I want you to see in the passage is that a man comes into the temple that day. His name is Simeon. He had been told by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And that morning, he's an old man. That morning, God, the Holy Spirit said, go into the temple. The Messiah is there. And on that 33rd day, Mary and Joseph was there with Jesus. And Simeon comes into the temple and he sees him and he says, let me have the baby. And he takes the baby and he says, I can die. I'm ready to die. I have seen the Savior of the world. He knew that baby, 40-day-old baby, Jesus, was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But he said something. He said, Mary, this child will have a lot of sorrow. He's called him a light to the Gentiles, a glory of Israel, but he'll be a man of sorrow. We're going to see some of the sorrow beginning this morning. So go back, if you would, to Matthew, and Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to see that now, two years have passed, the wise men have left because they were warned not to go back to Herod, and let's see verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, what happens. Now, when they had gone, as the wise men left, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to destroy the child. Uh, he's going to search for the child to destroy him. Now, the wise men are gone, and they left, and there's Joseph and Mary. And what happened? An angel of the Lord... Called the man. So, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And now, there are four different dreams given to Joseph in these first two chapters. And every time an angel comes and gives him revelation, and every time 
Whatever the angel tells Joseph to do, Joseph does. Now, wouldn't it be great that if every time we read the Bible and it tells us what to do, we'd do it? Because that's what Joseph did. Now, I want you to notice something. Who is the mother of Jesus? We call her who? Mary. Who is the father of Jesus? It's God. It's not Joseph. I want you to notice how the, what the angel says and what the scripture says. Look again at verse 13. Now, when they had gone, when they'd gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take what? Take the child and his mother. It didn't say take your son. Because Joseph, he's not Joseph's son. He's actually the son of David, the son of God, the Holy Spirit, and Mary. And all the way through this passage, he's going to say, take the child and his mother. Look at verse 14. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother. Look at verse 20. Get up, take the child and his mother. Verse 21. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother. And so all the way through, the emphasis is, not, is that Joseph is not the father. The father's God. God the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and that was produced in her is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. We just want you to realize that. Now, think about the humility here. They're going to have to flee. They're going to have to run. He left the glories of heaven and humbled himself to become a human being. Now he's got to humble himself, and they've got to run to Egypt. And then later on, he's going to humble himself to die on the cross to pay for our sins. But why do they need to leave? And when they had gone forth, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Why? And remain there. Why? Until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Herod's going to try to kill him. And the word to destroy, it means violent death. Already, the man of sorrows, they're try, trying to kill him from the very beginning. What will Joseph do? He will obey. Verse 14, so Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and left for Egypt. You notice he didn't wait till the next morning. He didn't say, oh, okay, well, well, we'll get up early in the morning and leave. But he left right then. While it was still night, they left for Egypt. Joseph is a man who based his life on the Word of God. I think that would be one of the greatest things you could say about any person. Wouldn't it be great if somebody said about you, you're a person who based your life on the Scripture. Everything you see about Joseph, and we don't see hardly anything about him. The next time you're going to even see him mentioned is in Luke, Luke where, he's, where Jesus is 12 years old, and Joseph and Mary are there. And then after that, you'd never hear from him again. And by the time Jesus is 30 years old and begins his ministry, Joseph is never mentioned again. Many believe he died. Died early. But a great man because he obeyed the Bible. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. And what we see is the guidance of protection. God protects the wise men. God protects Joseph and the family. And they're going to go to Egypt. And Egypt is, is a, kind of a long trip. Now remember, if we go back to Luke 2, they had no money. But when you get to Matthew chapter 2, the wise men have come. And what did they bring them? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And let me just tell you, they got money now. They're rich. They're rich compared to anybody around them because they've got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, frankincense was very expensive. Myrrh was very expensive. And, of course, gold, we know what that was. And so they've got that. They now have enough money to make the trip to Egypt and stay there until he tells them to come back. And the best we're going to tell from history is probably two to, two to three years 
They'd stay down there. So Jesus is around four or five years old when they come back and go to Nazareth. So we'll see that in just a minute. And verse 15, so uh, by the way, has God protected them and guided them? He does the same for us. Hebrews 13 says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Why should you fear? We come together, and it's really comfortable to come together on a Sunday morning, and we sing these songs, and we love each other, and we drink coffee and donuts and hug, and, and we say, isn't this wonderful? And then we have to go out into the real world. You have to go out where people don't like you, where people don't believe what you believe. That If you were to say to certain people around you, I believe the Bible and that Jesus Christ is the only way, you become an enemy. But you're never alone. He'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? Just like he guided and protected Joseph and the wise men, he's going to guide and protect us. He is always there. Look at verse 15. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was fulfilled what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Through the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. This is Hosea 11.1. That basically that verse, if you look at it, is talking about that God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. That's when Moses led them out. But he's using this to say in the same way that God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, God is going to bring his son, Jesus Christ, out of Egypt as well. Oftentimes, Israel is compared to the be the son of God, but Israel always failed. Jesus is the son of God, and he always does what's right. So Joseph takes Jesus and Mary and goes to Egypt and stays there until Herod dies. Now, remember a while ago I mentioned it. How could they do this? They gave the poorest offering. How do they have any money? They've got the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And God not only guides them, but protects them and provides for them. And he'll do the same thing for us. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will take care of us. Well, here's the bad news. And you know, remember we said that at his life, there will always be sorrow. There was sorrow connected. Listen, before, when Mary found out she was pregnant, she wasn't married, right? And everybody thought she had done something wrong. There's sorrow right there. There's sorrow. Their, their marriage begins with people going, I think she had sex before they were married. That's how it begins. And Jesus is born. He's born in a, there's no place for them in the end. There's no place there for them. We see that at this time, what's going to happen to all the little boy babies, two-year-old and under? They're going to be killed. Sorrow. A man of sorrows. So look what happens in verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became enraged. And this word enraged means extreme anger. And what did he do? He sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. The Magi told him it had been about two years ago that they first saw the star. So he says, you go out and you get every little boy in the surrounding area from Bethlehem. In fact, we're going to find out that it's all around. And he goes and kills every little boy two years old and under. Have you seen the connection? Herod wanted to kill all the boy babies. What did Pharaoh want to do? What was the decree? Kill all the boy babies. And who led them out? Moses led them out from where? From Egypt, where is Jesus fixing to come to lead the people and to be the savior of the world? He's going to come from Egypt. There's a connection. All of this flows together. Can you imagine? First of all, I, I thought about this. Would you want to be a Roman soldier to go to houses 
knock on those doors and open those doors. And if they got little children, little boys, killing them. Do you want to do that? Can you imagine the evilness of Herod? You know, I read a lot on the Holocaust. I do because I that part of the that part of history is amazing to me, and what people went through and the evilness of mankind to do some of the things that they did then. And you can see that evilness is right there. Let me read one part right here. It says, this, when this had been spoken, what happened? This is spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah said that there would be a voice heard in Ramah weeping and mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. The Matthew quotes this and says that what was written at Jeremiah is, is, a, is a foreshadow. Well, what was written there is a foreshadow of what happens here. Because in Jeremiah 31, Rachel is weeping because the Babylonians come in and they kill men, women, and children and take them off into captivity. And that's what Jeremiah writes, that Rachel is weeping for her children. And Matthew says, in the same way that the Jewish people were weeping for their children in the Babylonian captivity, now they're weeping for their children under the the Romans because of the evilness of Herod the Great. How evil are we? We say things like, oh, I'd never do that. Yes, you would. You don't know what you'd do. Put you in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll do the wrong thing. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none of us righteous, no, not one. We all need a Savior. And just realize that by only by God's grace could we ever have a relationship with God, and that is through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we've sung great songs about him this morning. The only way to have life is not by our goodness or righteousness because we're not good or righteous. The only way to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ and it's faith in him, faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, look what happened, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, look what he says, get up and take the child and his mother and go back in the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. Herod died. Wow. Go back. Notice, take the child and his Mother, and go back in the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life or dead. So Joseph, he did exactly what God told him to do. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came back into the land of Israel. Now everything's going to be great. But where are they going to go? Where had they just been living? They'd been living in, they, they had been living in Nazareth, and then they moved down to Bethlehem, and they stayed in Bethlehem for at least two years because they were too poor to move all the way back. And so they've been there, and now they've been in Egypt for about three years, and he tells them to go back into the land. So they're going to probably say, well, let's just go back to Bethlehem. That's our hometown. We'll just go back there. But notice, but, verse 22, but when he heard, Joseph heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. So being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee. Now, we'll go on in just a second. After Herod died, he had some sons. Archelaus is now reigning. After Herod died, Herod had, Herod had more than three sons. But when he died, his son Archelaus got the region called Judea and Samaria, Another son named Antipas got the Galilean region, and a son by the name of Philip got what we call by the Jordan River. This is how it was. Herod had all of this. He ruled all of this. When he died, Archelaus got this part of it. 
Notice, Jerusalem, Samaria, Bethlehem is right over there. This is where he, and then the other son, Herod Antipas, got that part. That's up there where Nazareth is and Tiberias. And then another son got that part, and this part kind of was uh, overruled by all kind of different people. Now, let me just tell you something. He comes back, and he says, I don't want to live here. And the Holy Spirit, through the angel, warned him and said, go up here. So he's going to go to Galilee. Let me tell you about Archelaus. He was so evil that the day he ruled, he had 3,000 people put to death. That's how he started his rule. He was such an incompetent ruler that after a few years, even the Roman government recognized that he was no good. And they came in and replaced him. And they replaced him with a governor. And the governor's name was Pontius Pilate. This is going to be the ruler at the time that Jesus is a grown man. So Archelaus didn't rule very long. Now, it says that being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in the city called Nazareth, which is the field was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So he comes, they come back and being warned by God in a dream. By the way, this is the fourth time that he's warned by God in a dream, fourth dream. And so they go to Nazareth. And let me show you something. On this map, here's Bethlehem. It's way down there. It's only six miles from Jerusalem. But notice where Nazareth is. It's way in the north. That's where they had lived originally. And Jesus begins his ministry in his hometown, or his, his ministry is all in Capernaum. There's Tiberias. These are cities all around that you see him when he's in the boat and he's going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to other. There's Cana of Galilee. That's where he changed the water to wine. That's Nazareth where he grew up. So they leave here. They come back and instead of going here, born, they go all the way up to Nazareth. And I want you to notice how this ends here. It says, that was spoken through the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. There is no prophecy that you can find that says he shall be called a Nazarene. So what are they talking about? What is Matthew referring to? Well, he's referring to Isaiah 11.1 1, because the word Nazarene means branch. And notice that. The shoot shall spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's talking about the Messiah. So the Messiah is called a branch. The name Nazareth means branch. And so that's why he says, he quotes Isaiah 11.1. 1. Now, when we end chapter 2 and start chapter 3, about 25 years are going to pass. So from chapter 2 to chapter 3, 25 years. And the next thing we see as you start chapter 3 is John the Baptist has started his ministry. And right after he starts his ministry, Jesus starts his ministry. So let me give you, as, as we end, think about this. Herod is angry at being tricked. God warns Joseph to leave. They leave. Herod kills all the little boys two years old and under. Herod dies, and God tells Joseph to come back. When he comes back, he hates the evil Archelaus, and so God warns him, and he goes to Galilee, and they're up there in the city of Nazareth. So let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let us rest in God's sovereign plan of guidance, protection, and provision. Now think about that. God's providence, protection. He guides us by his word. He protects us day by day. And he provides all that we need. So think about that. Every day you wake up, 
He is guiding you by His Word. Every day, He protects you. you don't even, we don't even know the ways He protects us, and He provides for everything that we have. The second application, let us believe and obey God's Word in the same way that Joseph did. Think about this. Revelation, God made Himself known. Inspiration, we got the Bible. Illumination is the Holy Spirit will help us to understand it, and application is we live it out. So believe it. And obey it. Just as Joseph took God at his word, we take God at his word. And last but not least, when I see the evilness in this passage, realize our only hope is Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the only Savior. My prayer is this, if there's anyone in this room, and that if somebody said to you, do you think you'd go to heaven when you die? Or do you think you have a relationship with God? And you say, I don't know or I'm not sure. Or, I don't think so. You can know. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and paid for sins. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you will put your faith in him, if you will trust in him, he will give to you eternal life. The offer to you is to believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. You can do that right where you're sitting. You don't have to walk down anywhere. You don't have to do anything. Salvation is a gift, not by what you do, but by what Jesus Christ has done. And so if there's anyone in this room that has never trusted Christ right where you're sitting right now, you can put your faith in Christ to give you eternal life, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt at this exact moment that you have eternal life, and you will be with Jesus Christ forever. For the rest of us, as we go out these doors, Let's proclaim that that's the truth.